internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shabbats, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover a build of God and reach the side of the ocean floor. Today I have yet another very special guest who's actually very well poised to do exactly the mission of this show, navigate the digital world through art and culture, because he has written one of the best books I've read on art in the digital age called The Decline and Fall of Western Art. Welcome to the show, uh, Brendan Hurd, also Ah, known, by the way, as Trad Western Art on Twitter. Well, Aureus Press. I uh, was originally Trad Western Art, and I still have the handle on on the at, only because... I'd lose all my old tweets, but um, I would change that if I could because of all the uh, copycat accounts and all the stuff that's become associated with a specific kind of trad, which we, I've talked to you about and I shouldn't get into <laughs> into this preamble. Uh, but anyways, yes, Aureus Press is what I go by generally. Yeah, sorry. I, I did that because I realized most people probably don't know you as Brandon Hurd. They probably know you as Trad West or Aureus Press. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. Yeah, you had a, uh, well, speaking of like the uh, negative associations and uh, we have both had quite the ride on Twitter. Uh, I was just repeatedly suspended to the point where I just feel like I'm so throttled. I'm hoping I can stay now that Elon Musk is there. But you, on the other hand, you haven't been suspended, but you've been throttled and uh, shadow banned to the point where you told me at one point you like were like, I don't even know if I should bother tweeting anymore. You're, I think you were losing followers at one point. I lost followers for two years straight ever since the uh, Jan 6 riots, of which I have no part in and I'm not even American and or anything. I had nothing to do with it. But ever since then, I'd slowly lost followers. I don't know how they did it. It was just the mass bannings of everybody else. Um, well, shadow banning. Yeah, but it, like to lose, like, you know, are, were people actually uh, removing, like unliking, unfollowing, or was it like being done manually by somebody else? I don't know. What I think is you were probably... You were probably the most shadow banned person actually I've ever seen because I <laughs> didn't even think you still existed for a really long time. And I found I your account again and I'm like, why don't you tweet anymore? And you're like, uh, I do. <laughs> well, I kept doing it. I kept, I keep it going because all my stuff like that I do while I'm working. So I'm already working online. So I just, it doesn't, I work from home so I can, I take a second and I copy a picture or a thought pops in my head and I type it out. Right. And it's the same on Facebook, still an ongoing saga on Facebook. And it's the same story with both where I have a certain amount of following. So I had like 80,000 followers on Twitter that over the two years that went down to like 73,000 or something, but it was still like, okay, I got, even though only a few people can see my tweets, I still got 70,000 followers. Right. This has value. So it, you feel compelled to keep going. And I did manage to sell books and grift and, um, you know, propagandize a little bit. Not as much as I should. And the worst thing actually was when you get attacked by a leftist or somebody, they'd be like, oh, look how little um, interaction you get for the size of your of your following and all that, like trying to mock you. And, all this. and I'm like, well, that's because I'm fucking shadow. You will never know the experience of being shadow banned where you're, you know, it's the, it's the shittiest, lamest thing ever because you don't get an ex- No one says anything to you. You don't get a warning about what you're doing. Even if you, you know, if they would just say like, oh, you did this, you're going to be banned soon. It would be fine. But when somebody just silently without telling you shuts off your reach, you know, like, just the lamest, sneakiest thing possible. 
Yeah. But so I, I got the same story. I got the same thing on Facebook. I got 110,000 followers. I've had the exact same amount for, I don't know how many years now, five years. <laughs> so I'm compelled to keep posting now and then. I'm really kind of fed up with it because I have 100,000 followers, but it like never grows and nothing happens. And it's like, oh, just this weird limbo. I, I wish they, I wish they'd either cancel it or I would give up. I, maybe I'll just give up. <laughs> a lot of people are voicing frustration about uh, Facebook, but uh, one of the really frustrating things before was that the left had a sort of plausible deniability when we claimed that we were shadow banned. I mean, That's we right. knew That's that right. they were lying, but they still had this level of plausible deniability. But now that's gone. I mean, Elon Musk mm. made all of that very clear that, that yes, that was happening. Uh, the, the right was actively being throttled and suppressed. And, uh, you know, I don't know what I found you in 2020 in January 6th. So I guess I was following you for a while before January 6th. But I don't I, I don't particularly remember you being too in your face political, but you have been lately, which I think is great. I think well, I was, your... I was before uh, over the shadow man period. I thought, OK, I'll just stop being political. OK. okay. <laughs> and yeah, so that was my my strategy for a while was to be as subtly political as possible. Uh, which I do, which uh, you can say at least I never got officially banned or thrown off. Um, so maybe that's some small meager success <laughs> as, uh, you know, low as it sounds. Uh, well, but... I'm glad you survived and stuck around. And it's cool. Like a, a lot of people came back. They never gave me my account back, but so be it. Uh, but they, I'm glad know, you... they, don't, they don't know. Who, they don't usually they are aware of you when you do come back. So they let you back anyways. And you, they don't they, you figure they don't know who you are on your new account. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'm safe. It seems like I'm safe now. I mean, I put a lot a lot of stock in Elon Musk. A lot rides on the way he pr proceeds. But I well, feel like I'm safe for now. Cuz I've seen just recently a lot of people being let on that I didn't think would have been back let on. <laughs> yeah, I know. More more. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Well, Which so is good. Listen. This is what he do. As far as I'm concerned, he he was making a big mistake with all his tweeting. And may, I, I don't know. I can't tell if he's naive and making these discoveries in real time as he goes and just tweeting about it and he can't help it. And um, he has a certain kind of little boy naivety in a certain way about him. Or if he thought that was a good strategy of some kind, I think it's best for him to stay quiet. Just we all know what he thinks. He's got the right ideas. If he just stays quiet, implements the rules as he uh, wants to and doesn't say anything, as long as he, if he when he starts tweeting and saying stuff is when they go crazy. And he loses like a hundred billion in his, you know, other companies and stuff. Yeah, I think you have that exactly right. I think the potential is great, and I don't think it's fast enough. I don't, excuse me, I don't think it's soon enough to see whether or not he's uh, capitalizing on his potential. I think we should expect that he probably will, but uh, you know, we'll we'll wait and see. But either way, we're both here now, and you're back in full effect, which I'm really happy about. And I want to dedicate pretty much the whole show to the decline and fall of Western art. Now I've seen a fair amount of content out of you uh, on other people's shows and your own show. So why don't you plug your show and um, tell us when the book was published? Because I don't, I didn't know who you were when you were promoting it. So I've never actually seen you talk specifically about the book. Maybe not. Okay. As to when it was published, that is a good question. Let me find a copy here. Oh, well, There's it says one. right in the beginning, I think 2019. Uh, yeah. Was it 2019, right? Yeah, how many years one... that now? I can't even. I don't even know that either. Well, it's coming uh, up on four years, but uh, I came. Of course, M M X V I I isn't that? That's twenty seventeen. Oh, see, it's even older. Okay, see, yeah, I, I didn't. 
Sorry, go on. Yeah, I didn't find you until 2020. Um, so I missed the first round of promotion for this book. But I mean, this book is, uh, it's only going to, as long as we're in this phase that we're in now, this book will remain relevant and probably just become more and more true. And, and the art scene, uh, all the different things that happen are just probably going to fulfill both the call to action. And the call to arms to revivify art, as well as your critique of the decline of Western art, they're just going to become more prescient and more true as as things go on. Uh, you know, AI art, the way we're seeing it now, didn't exist. CGI did, but the, this um, art AI art generator thing is brand new. Um, it's very much in the vein of what you were warning about in this book. So, uh, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, um, how, how the publishing history went, uh, if it's sold well, and I know you, you, um, you have another publishing gig going on with the, uh, Aegean. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So we want to promote all of that before we really get into the, the meat of the book. Right. Okay. So yeah, 2017. So it was a long odyssey of writing before that quite a few years of, writing down my ideas about art. And I actually <laughs> naively myself thought <clears throat> that I was writing a book. I mean, it is totally unique. It's all, it's all, it's all my own thoughts. I mean, I, I researched for it and everything, but I didn't, I wasn't even aware, say when I was uh, through the course of writing it of people like Roger Scru Scruton, that sounds amazing now, but that was like, I started it like long, long time ago and I wasn't taught about him in school or anything. So, um, there was other people and other books I found since of people that tried to speak up out against this, but I thought I didn't think I was the only one or anything, but I thought, I thought I felt it was revolutionary in a way, you know, I didn't know that anybody would buy it or read it, but I knew it was truth as I saw it. And that it was, you know, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anecdotal experience that goes into it because I was, I am, uh, I, I am an artist. I wanted to be an artist. I went to art school and that formed my original, um, questions and opinions about all this but um i found out since about people like screwed up but i don't even think i think it's fair to say his approach was to speak more philosophically about beauty which i do as well but i don't think he named some of the very specific historical people and events and the some of the exact sort of cutting um, observations of more of what went on exactly in the 20th century and the shenanigans that led to the form to the worldview and what people think art is today. So in that sense, I think it is unique as far as I know. I mean, there's always, you always hear about somebody else who that you didn't, didn't has a book you didn't hear about and they had some idea comparable to yours, but as far as I know. So I really took it as broadly as I could. I took really every <laughs> possible influence and idea and things surrounding the issue that I could imagine. And I, try to talk about it and solidify it in an idea. And I knew I couldn't really offer The one thing people have a complaint is that I don't offer sort of a solution. Like I present the problem and I, I don't have a, I don't have a solution. And in fact, even like what you said a minute ago, I, I slightly disagree. I don't have quite a rosy, um, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, not optimal, but, um, uh, like a bright idea of the future where, people are going to wake up and see the truth. I think that stuff like the AI and the abstract art and the idea that art is pure expression aren't necessarily going to just be overturned by a good argument of pure truth and rational, you know, it's, it's things are too far gone. And that even at the time when I was writing it, which, you know, 2017, a lot has changed in the world since then. 
I think it's just proven more and more that we have to kind of go through the gauntlet and that go through the the eye of the, how did I say in the book, eye of the storm, eye of the, eye of the cyclone or something. And that we can expect um, more and more just absurdity and disintegration until some major calamity <laughs> reforms things in around a new kind of moral idea. Because you can't go back either. People think with my original Twitter handle, Trad West Art, et cetera, it's all about going back to pillars and, uh, you know, classical columns and everything, but you can't necessarily go back either. What you seek, what do you, what you're seeking is the new idea that has natural values, proper traditional values in it, which would be beauty value. Beauty values are part of that, but it's got to be new because you can't go back. And if you go back, you are just sort of frozen in time. So it's not about just reversing the clock either, but it's about, it's not just, you have to combat the idea that everything new is good as well. And there's a sort of balance there. And the idea, the idea of art, the main um, crux of the book is that uh, Clement Greenberg, more or less, the art critic in the 19, early beginning of the 20th century, he kind of created the idea that art is all about personal expression and that you can, uh, do away completely with tradition in art sort of, you know, art before that was always be linked um, culturally and tribally to your history and your myths and your, and everything. Right. And there was a tradition that carried on. You try to be new in your art, but you were also carrying a torch of some kind where he, in his era, it was like, Nope, you don't need any of that. We're just going to do totally, you know, uh, you don't need any, skills you don't need any standards of any kind you can do you know random scribbles and as long as self-expression which is the ultimate value has been reached um so yes kandinsky was in the uh, 19th century and he was um, as far as we know arguably there was others i think but he was of any note he was the first person to attempt to present um, abstract squiggles shapes and geometry as painting like totally outside of attempting a representation of any kind really although he was also something of a skilled painter as well um no one knows his story i've heard conflicting ideas about his history and his uh what he was trying to do but he might have been largely forgotten um until the early 20th century when greenberg invented the language of explaining and giving merit to these idea these splatter paintings and these scribbles and shapes which was to sort of intellectualize them with a philosophy uh, related to self-expression and just being new like new in a futuristic sense but they like the futurists you know the futurists had a an aspect of that avant-garde in your face stuff but they were they had a certain link to tradition as well like say um ezra pound etc like he those guys or who else? Uh, I don't know, but those guys kept a link to, to tradition. They had a certain understanding of that. What they were doing was a continuation of things, even if they were being, you know, very, very rebellious in what we might call, dare I say, I hate to use this word, but like a punk rock kind of way, like a outrageous kind of way. Um, so Greenberg broke that link to anything to do with the past whatsoever. And this is where you get the people. He started really the first superstar of his creation would have been um i would say duchamp with his urinal and the uh painting a mustache and the mona lisa and just like being outrageous for the sake of it ever, ever since then we've had nothing but art that is outrageous for the sake of it and you're not doing art now ever since then you're not doing art unless you are sort of flying in the face of something 
and destroy and like, you know, uh, thumbing the past and um, being rebellious for its own sake, even though now they've done it for so long <laughs> that it's actually more rebellious to, to be, uh, to be the opposite of what, to, to be really traditional and old fashioned, but they don't even allow that at all. So, yeah, so that's where Greenberg comes into it. He recreated the language of art speak, they call it, which is to do with art criticism, which is really actually the most creative part of the process of, of modern art is the criticism is where you have the wordy explanation of what it means and what it uh, insinuates and symbolizes. And we've all seen this when you see a stupid, stupid painting or a giant dildo, you have to read the description and it's like, you know, it obviously uh, represents the plight of uh, you know, I don't know, homosexuals or whatever. <laughs> to be some, almost always a liberal insinuation as well. Yeah, always. Which, yeah, right. A uh, liberal cause associated with it. Um, pretty much always, yeah. So it was the first trick, I would say, of the modern age of language, of using word tricks. And it was Greenberg's invention, the language and these words, and all these words. I'd, I'd have to read examples from the book. Everybody think. knows it, though. Everybody knows what yeah, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 they do know it. Yeah, yeah. The kind of flowery language you hear that explains the way the shapes and the squiggles and how it great, the lofty philosophy. And it always works on like a a bourgeois, bourgeois kind of, you know, liberal uh, middle class type person. <laughs> it almost always works. And they think, ah, great. Uh, I'm, I'm being, um, it's high art. I'm being philosophical now. You know, the easy trick. And a lot of people, it's uh, it's, it's one of these cascading problems, too. In that since modern art has taken over and nobody's being taught rigorous, proper art skills in school. Like if you look at a Victorian sketchbook of a kid, you will see better art skills than like any like modern adult person today because they were just taught it from, from day one without any sort of relativist um, questioning about the, what is the, the bare, the, the uh, naked uh, open skills of, of uh, representational illusion in drawing or painting or so forth. And the skills required to do so. The more the self, there is self-expression in art, obviously. But this is what they do. This is the language game that they play, and they've played ever since. Not just with art. Now they do it with other things, with gender and everything else. So art was the first trick, the first thing they hijacked and destroyed. And the trick is to focus on one aspect of a thing that's true. This is the word game, and to blow it out of proportion and, and make it mean everything to do with the thing. So art is now about self-expression purely. And that, you know, there is self, you must, in the in every stage of art, in, through all of history, you did have self-expression uh, was part of it, but also part of it was the traditional part, element. The link to the past, to the history, to myth, religion, and sort of tribal things. It was always important, very important, and, and you weren't doing anything unless you were an extension of, I mean, really, frankly, your tribe in that sense, right? Or the tribal art of your people and your history, and you would be furthering that in a new way but linked to it. So um, now I lost my point again. Well, yeah, um, but your point, your point overall is clear though, that like the, the art of the past was kind of fully integrated and linked to, to use a term that it kind of comes with some baggage, but it's used by Spangler who, you know, this book is, I wouldn't say modeled off of, but inspired by uh, blood and soil. <laughs> And Heidegger talks about that too. Like, only a certain people are going to be able to create a certain kind of art at a certain time. It's going to come out of that culture uh, because of where they are and what they believe and their togetherness. 
So, you know, yeah. Spengler talks about, say, the Gothic cathedral. It's probably the best example ever of what I'm talking about. Um, and he, yeah. he has a whole chapter on that, ex- on, on that. So, um, now where we are today, it's like, disembodied it's like the art is totally severed from any rootedness or any culture which it's almost like what would you expect with this highly technological cosmopolitan civilization that we live in today now it's you know megalopolitan uh society in which you have a country full of america anyway it's but but there's a similar dynamic in europe too so you have a country full of everywhere's america everywhere's america really today Uh, well yeah yeah so well that's another point you know what? No, yeah. I'll actually no. I'll make my point. I'll probably make my point better by incorporating your point by saying that uh, you have all these people right in America and in Europe, but the culture that they participate in is truly driven by only a few centers of of power. I almost said centers of creation, but really it's a centers of cultural engineering, like New York City and L.A. Um, mm-hmm. The the way that they've like taken over the world is crazy. And I was going to say, you know, Europe has the big centers like Paris, uh, uh, London, and I was going to name, you know, a couple other places in Germany and things like that. But now, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, those places have really faded uh, on the world scene, haven't they? Uh, As cultural. I mean, uh, every place has faded. Even you go to Paris now. Even you can go to the Louvre now. You can go to the Louvre and see more and more sort of modernist. um, You know, a friend of mine was there recently and they had a. They had one of those halls where they paint the ceiling with sort of beautiful cherubs and, uh, you know, gold gilding and things, except it was all sort of like it was the same thing, but it was like kitty scribbling and um, little childish kind of, you know, pastel colors and things. And, uh, you know, so they sort of there's no, nothing is free now. We don't really make we don't have those values anymore. We cannot make that art because it requires a lot of work to make the traditional style art, which in the European sense uh, really has its roots in like everything else really great that is in our tradition and our heritage that we try to keep alive from ancient Greece, in my opinion. Um, it has a certain root in Egypt, but ancient, uh, what we consider the West really has its origins in Greece, the philosophy and the art. And most of the, the true, uh, what I consider, uh, be careful of my wording, but uh, proper values anyways, classical values. So uh, in terms of art, especially as well, it really goes back to that. And I have several chapters in the book about that, how, the origins of our beauty values are can be boiled down to the Greek um, golden ratio, which they apply to everything and which does apply to everything, which should properly apply to everything from building to the page layout of your book and should be considered in, in everything because it is in everything. And that relates to a kind of fractals and the, even the um, in e- eternity in a way, the spiraling fractals that represent eternity from where the every tiny piece is representative and um proportionally equal to the whole and this mathematical value equals beauty uh, which is you know an amazing discovery to have and to use and to inherit a tradition from a place like greece with those sculptures and their philosophy and then which it was held in extremely high regard until the time of greenberg you were saying too about technology technology to me is not such a factor like ai or the technological age there's no reason why we can't have pre-Greenbergian proper classical values in terms of art or anything else plus technology, I don't think. And ideally, I know you never get everything ideally. There's always a nothing ever works out 100% as you would like. But you as humans, we should tr- we try to cherry pick the best things that we know of and piece them together. 
there's no I don't see any reason for technology to be used the way it is. That's another chapter in the book. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book is the one nobody likes or talks about, um, which is about um, industrial, what, what did I call it? Hierarchical industrialization or some ridiculous term, which is what I meant by basically the technological age, technological age if it had kept classical values or even, even, even just pre-World War II type values, but even even sort of further back, if you had a kind of monarchical age with technology, as you see in sort of movies like Dune or something, right? Or what they call now archaeofuturism, that there's not necessarily a reason. Like, say, Romans had technology. You know, they, they didn't get quite as far as, with it as we did, but it's not integral to technology and science. So um, that we have these liberal consumerist values, like most of technology from since the 20th century was geared, steered towards um, creating cheaper um, household objects for ev- everyday people instead of like um, giant science projects of like extreme um, sort of risk and beauty and um, experimentation, which is where, what you should be doing. That would be the Greek way of doing things, would be to have grand experimentation with a goal to increasing the good, the greater good, plus exceptionalism and the potentialities of being human, right to the point of being, you know, I don't want to speak sort of blasphemously, blasphemously, but like, (laughs) you know, for the Christian people, but, you know, to the point of being, of reaching a kind of demigodhood and in the possibilities of your, like to reach the furthest limit of your abilities, which was completely tied up with absolute rationality. Um, These values, which they, they, you know, the Greeks studied and talked a lot and (laughs) never stopped trying to focus, figure out exactly what was good, what was the proper direction, what to do. And gradually over time, they sort of honed it down to ideas of balance and proportion, again, through the golden mean, um, maybe I'm going off on a bizarre, too bizarre tangent. <laughs> but anyways, um, no, this is good. Actually, we could, we could mine this for a, a really interesting discussion that I think the listeners would appreciate. Uh, it would probably take us off the book, but if you're willing to do that, right, I think sorry, it's sorry, really sorry. good fodder for, for yeah. Okay. The book, of course, the book, <laughs> the book yeah. <laughs> Well, this is all part of it. No, I was talking about even that chapter in it. So, right. Yeah. And I have, I'm looking at it. I had a, I had a bookmark in that chapter and it's highlighted to, uh, um, all over the chapter. So it's definitely, I I took note of that chapter for sure. Cause I've never got any feedback on that part. That was like my most original part of it. I thought was like to think about that and talk about that. But most people either sort of can't conceive of it or they don't agree or I don't know what, but they think it's realization. The synthesis Mm. of, uh, traditional values and modern, technology and modern industrialization is not something most people go for but it i think i agree with you that it might be our only hope you know yeah, there why is wouldn't they go for it though? why 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 wouldn't they think it's because that I... was the early attempt of art deco this is the other thing i should clarify for people that don't, don't know the book and people who are defenders of modernism this is the computer i want to mention this as i mentioned early in the book and you always have to say this because people will complain because there is a such a thing as good modernism and bad modernism, which we must clarify. Mostly, I must say, capital M modernism, which I complain about and blame in the book as Greenberg's really Greenberg's creation, was um, really the abstract, the break with tradition, the sort of you know squiggly lines and doodles things, right? But there is 
after the fact, after modernism took over all of art and the art um, institution and the traditions, they sort of post, as they do through lying, they posthumously grabbed the history and claimed other pre- recent previous art movements were also modernism. They, they grabbed, um, you know, Art Nouveau and they went for as far back as Romanticism, which has nothing to do with the squiggles of Pollock or, you know, any of the, any of the, any of the stuff they did. But they, they said, oh, but it was rebellious for its time. And they use these silly excuses and they say, this is modernism too. So it creates a a confusing fog that almost nobody can see through. Because when I say, uh, and I attack modernism, then somebody says, oh, but but I love, um, you know, Klimtor, I love uh, Art Deco, and these obviously excellent excellent things that need to be separated. And it's easier to say there's good modernism and bad modernism than to try to create a new label. And uh, it's it's a confusing mess of a thing, right? So I did want to add, I did want to get that in there because it really helps. So like as far as Art Deco, Art Deco was... Um, an attempt to be do what I'm saying, to be industrial plus, and even have mass um, industrial, um, what do you call it? Assembly line style creation of things for people affordably, but to make sure that art was uh, involved in a traditional sense, even in a kind of new, almost science fiction-y way, <laughs> streamlined way. Um, that was a real attempt to do that. That was somehow subsumed and died away. Can, can you give us an example of Art Deco? Is that movie uh, Metropolitan uh, Art Deco style? Uh, Metropolis, yeah. Uh, is, what did I say? Yeah. Metropolitan? Metropolis, yeah, yeah. Metropolis. Yeah, that would be an Art Deco city in the, in that movie, yeah. And the robot and everything, yeah. That would be Art Deco. That kind of streamlined era of the 30s, cut, you know. Um, it was really popular in the 30s. And if you, like, everything would be Art Deco around you. You'd be going around... You know, the way you dress, your cigarette case, <laughs> your like your car, your interior design, it all had to be Art Deco. So it was unifying and it had a, it was linked to, that was the last real art movement that was where they took art seriously. And it was in all our um, daily lives and all our daily use objects. But it was even in these mass produced things that everyone says, oh, it's impossible now. The only reason it's impossible now is because. Everyone has the values of Greenberg. They think art is not important. And the people, the middlemen who produce all your objects have no use for that because it, it creates expense. And the same goes for your architects and your clothes manufacturers. They have no use for trying to be aesthetic or traditional or your history or anything. They just have use for providing something at a bargain that you can buy as cheaply and, you know, as shit as possible. Um, that will sort of fulfill this function, this ghost of a function of a daily use item, like a spoon or a chair where previously it would have been something that um, was part, was linked to your own past and was beautiful. So, yeah. Well, I have, I have so much to say about all of this. Um, I want to get back to the industrial, you called it like a heroic, uh, heroic, uh, what what did you call it? A heroic uh, art movement where there's, like I, I guess I'm repeating myself, re, recapitulate and regrasp. It's so it's almost like what happened in the Renaissance, right? Where they tried to like revive the spirit of art in the ancient world, and they ended up creating something totally new with opera and and the sculpture there. Um, and you're basically saying we need some sort of heroic revitalization or revival of the past to use the culture and the tools we have now to use that spirit to make something new. Am I getting that right? Well, let's look at it this way. This is the conundrum of the thing, 
right? As far as I could see. You say I was heavily influenced by Spengler in the book. I wasn't so much in art-wise, but I was when I came to the crossroads of what's going on and what do we do, which right. according to Spengler... Exactly. Right. According to Spengler, it's either that everything that's happening is absolutely inevitable <laughs> and there's nothing you can do until it all turns to shit <laughs> and like the seas grow out of the manu- the manure pile, basically. Or you can turn it around. And yeah, which would not be Spenglerian. That would be the you know other possibility if he's wrong. So I didn't I was not my sure myself sure what the answer is. It's his theories seem quite sound. Um the only holes in it I can think of are say for instance, you know, you have ancient empires that do still sort of exist. You know, there's kind of still a big Islamic empire in a way it didn't you know, it flourished in like, you know, when was the big time when they had all their water clocks and their beautiful giant empires that were very strong. Yeah. Early, early uh, medieval period, I think. Right. You know, they didn't, they haven't like completely uh, vanished. Right. Either. Okay. Yeah. To, to be clear, what I meant about this book being inspired by Spangler was not the critique of art necessarily in its specifics, but in the sense that what we're seeing is a decline that decline is intractable and that uh, there's really no reason for, for optimism that it's going to turn itself around. Um, and I think, I, I think most of our listeners are going to immediately agree with uh, those, those things, but um, Spengler was the one, right? Right. The first one to at least popularize that perspective that there was a decline in, in our culture and in our artistic production, cultural production. And um, we are in it now and we have to, recognize it and ascertain what that means for us going forward. Those of us who care, uh, because of course, I mean, I'm sure you agree with me that many people are, uh, dancing in revelry that this is happening. Sadly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, that's the, no, the conundrum of Spengler is, is he right or is he wrong? And I was not able to satisfy that, uh, to myself a hundred percent, but I'd say he's, at least 75% right. Maybe it's possible. Well, you could look at it this way too. Maybe he's right, but at what level, how, how far into collapse do you have to go? Like let's say even the, you, the Romans died and we had the Dark Ages and the medieval, medieval period, which brought us where we are now. Like that was, you know, a long time. Does it have to be, you know, life is very unpredictable. It never happens in the way that you would expect it. It's always going to second guess you, evolution and life, as far as I can see. It'll even second guess someone like a Spengler, I think. So as in terms of what actually will happen, I would not have that crystal ball. But I'm fairly certain, even since I wrote the book, I saw the same kind of word games and arguments applied to other things outside of art. Art was already ruined in people's minds, young people growing up and people, even people listening to this will have, I think, mistaken views of what art means, what it is, what's important about it. And, you know, they'll hold, they will hold on to those. And um, in terms of the ever speeding up and encroaching sort of doom of the dissipation of everything, all the values that were held dear, as long as they hold on to their inverse version of those values, which are very dear to them, most of them, like all the brainwashed people, then no no good can happen, but only further sort of uh, dissipation. So I saw no evidence that... Like at least part of the reason I moved on to writing science fiction was to I, first of all I wanted to produce some art of my own instead of just whining about art. And I do believe science fiction is a kind of uh, 
how can I say, maligned. I think you would agree, uh, science fiction and fantasy and stuff. Uh, one of the more genuine expressions of art that you could get out of the 20th century. And that was that sort of like, of course, in the modern sense, they have to sort of make it seem juvenile or unimportant. And but really, it's, it is probably one of the most important things because it's sort of pure expression of ideas and speculation, usually optimistic uh, speculation of the future. And that kind of optimistic speculation leads to creating that future is what is my view. I agree completely. Um, right. So that was my, I, I, you know, I, I got everything I had to say about art out and that's why I moved on to the science. People think like, why would you write a nonfiction uh, serious kind of a book like this critiquing liberalism and modernity and then move on to science fiction. But that's, that's my reasoning. And I, I do have other nonfiction books I want to get out actually. I'm trying to do one on religion, but I don't know if I'll ever get it done. It's taken forever. Well, um, we've, we've spoken on that and I really like your perspective on religion and it's pretty unique. So I think, uh, I, th- I encourage you to, to work on that. Maybe at the end we can save a, a blurb for that. But, uh, sure. we, what were we going to say? I want to, um, all right. So uh, again, I can't tell what's going to happen, but I see nothing ever since I wrote the book. I see nothing, but I don't see anybody putting any effort. I don't know what's going on even these days in the actual sort of Guggenheim, um, you know, uh, art echelon, fine art um, uh, academy. <laughs> I, I assume they're just doing the same stupid crap. You know, people standing there bending over, showing their butts and, you know, idiotic squares and shapes and uh, all this crap. <laughs> it's, I'm sure it's still the same. But, I mean, you don't even hear about it anymore. I haven't even heard about the Turner Prize now. I don't think for a couple of years because other escalations in this kind of liberal decline through these word games and this permissive sort of sub, uh, subjectivity and abandonment of of tradition is um, just permeated all other uh, these other spheres. Like I said, like uh, ideas about gender and uh, even now science, the fields of science and the hard science is being like attacked and even either teaching AI how to be woke apparently, right? And things like this. So like it's it's seeping into everything. Elon Musk says this. He says the woke, quite correctly, that wokeness will destroy civilization, and it will. And maybe, in a Spanglerian sense, maybe that's what needs to happen. And we should, uh, frankly, let me say this: around the time of the George Floyd riots, I kind of gave, I, I decided, okay, this is evidence to me that things are too far gone to recover from. This is so stupid, like beyond idiotic and chaotically dangerous and destructive that I figure that's it and that any further action or feelings I have should be accelerationist and that Spengler was right. Uh, absolutely. And there's nothing you can do. And I still have that with me, but I also acknowledge that I don't know what's going to happen and really anything can happen. All, all I know is life will surprise you. <laughs> so this is, this is my, I, I only have vague answers. I'm afraid. But with with probably as, as serious speculation as you'll find, I think, really, frankly, because I don't, I don't mess around. I don't feel, what's the word? I um, I don't feel like sugarcoating anything. I don't mind trying to speculate, uh, having a prescience about the future that involves looking at the power structures involved and the likelihoods that are realistic. Because in, in all of it, there there's a potential for goodness or survival in some fashion or other. But being realistic is the chief number one thing as to what was likely to happen. As far as I can see, these people, our people, are stupid now beyond compare, historically, and totally brainwashed. Most of them, 
I mean, I don't know how many. There was talk before uh, the George Floyd business of like, uh, am I being too, politi- too political or something? No, it's like it's good. It's good. Oh, I don't know. Okay, fine. Um, of a silent majority, right? People just waiting to hear the good news and they'd be going to woken up and rise up. But it was around that time I realized, nope, the silent majority are even more idiots <laughs> just waiting for a chance to be do virtue signal their liberalism. Just more of them. Just actually even too dumb to even have decided or care before until now. So uh, my feeling is at that, well, my feeling at that, even that time, now that time is is long ago and things have changed again. And I, it changed I how? Um, not that I've like gained an optimism per se. Just how just how things will play out is very hard to say, because as time goes on, more people do sort of make realizations for different. What, what I knew was that the average person wasn't going to wake up for any intellectual reason, like me ranting my book. You know, there's a lot of. I could have written it more simply with less, uh, more direct wording, maybe like without trying to be all fancy with my words and stuff. Like back then, I was all into being, you know, <laughs> philosophical as, as I could. That's that, wasn't necessary. And um, anyways, I'm proud of the book and I think it works really well. I won't say anything uh, negative about it. In fact, I'd like completely proud of it. I'd probably, I'm proud of Aegean as well, but um, I, I do think, I'm mean, even for everything I say, there's things you can find in there that I think will be of value of, to you if you read it. And it generally gets, ever since it came out, it got good reviews anyways. Like uh, I get negative reviews from um, totally liberal people complaining that it's, you know, it doesn't suit their worldview, but, um, yeah. So everything I said in there, I'm, I'm proud of, but, and it's true. I believe it is absolutely true. And I came to it on my own. I remember being in art school and I remember being learning, being taught these things. And I remember thinking, because when you're young and you go through something like that, you think, okay, well, I'm, I don't know. I don't know anything. Like I must be open to these ideas. And, uh, you know, I tried for a long time. I, I became confused. And like a lot of other people, I just sort of went off art and I didn't want anything to do with it. I assume most people probably do that. No, that's why they know nothing of art and they try to stay away from it. And it either confuses them or it angers them or they put on a front of understanding what the nonsense is and try to carry on with their lives and <laughs> have art leave them alone. So again, I've lost my point with my stupid rambling. I did have one. That's a good way uh, to be. It's a good way to be. <laughs> So, okay, there, there's a lot there. So let's, let's suss some of this out. So the first thing, the, to me, I think the two most important things you said that I want to, I want to, um, expand on are A, the, uh, science fiction, writing in science fiction and seeing that as a continuation of this project. Now, you're, uh, you, you collaborate with Dave Martell of the Biz Archives, or at least he's been on your show. I don't know if you guys uh, cross publish each other, do you? Yeah, yeah, we have, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. But uh Aegean is yours and the Biz Archives is his. And you guys are both it's this goes back to what we were saying about like the culture from what from out of which comes this art. You can't make this art without having a certain type of person. And the certain type of person has to have this heroic spirit. And the heroic spirit can be crushed or bled out of a society uh, 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 excuse me, of a generation by the society in which they find themselves. So when you talk about a gerontocracy uh, and you talk about a gynocracy, uh, mm. you know, so much of our cultural energy right now is going into uh, keeping old people alive. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, 
newly retired senior, senior citizens in their twilight years who want to enjoy a couple of years. I'm talking about octogenarians <laughs> and whatever 90 year olds are called. Yeah. You know, George Soros is the fifth liver or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. David, uh, on, uh, not the, uh, Rick, Dick Cheney on, uh, his second heart. <laughs> is he still alive? Uh, he might have died last I knew. I think he is still alive though. I have to check well, that. I can but... hardly tell it whether he's alive or dead. He'll be wheeled and, around anyway. And, and Joe cadaver. Biden, uh, oh, geez. Yeah. Even, even Trump is really old. Um, so, so, so much of our energy is put into that. And just think about this. Uh, if I, if I may be allowed a tangent for a second mm-hmm. about the, um, the gerontocracy thing so if you think about like the renaissance for example right the reason why you're able to have such a flourishing uh burgeoning art movement like that where you have this explosion of creativity and you have like mass amounts of unprecedented production of art it's because you have a civilization whose institutions a are firm enough that they're stable that they don't need uh, a bunch of uh cultural or psychic or civilizational energy put into building them up they're already established at that point the economy is up and running and humming along and it produces all this excess and the excess gets turned into this creativity and the great minds of the generation direct their creativity into this artistic production whereas now We all, we have that. We have the established uh, institutions. They're kind of running on their own. We don't really need to put any cultural capital into building them. So we have the, the leisure to put into making something superfluous. And all of the great minds, the really great minds, the, the guys who would be the ones who are uh, making the paintings or like the Leonardo's drawing the human figure in its perfect proportion – or the Galileos, like studying the stars, what they're doing now, in part, is becoming like surgeons and uh, orthopedic doctors doing hip replacements on 94-year-olds. And it's like, it's this great talent suck. I see it as this great talent suck where like all the greatest minds who should be putting their genius into like making, you know, a rocket ship or taking sculpture to the next level are instead uh, doing these you know they they become ophthalmologists and 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 um the dental people who do braces uh, uh whatever you call them uh orthodontists because that's where all the money is that's where all the creativity is going right and then yeah. you have then you have like the bums right because if you take it back and this this will be the last thing i say uh the the layabouts who don't really have anything to contribute right if you go back yeah. to like the early renaissance period where the cathedrals are being built like i was talking about before those take a huge amount of cultural capital in a bit of a different way though because the engineer has the vision right the pyramids Mm -hmm. are the same thing but they need like a huge contingent of the population to work for them to build their uh creation and to bring their vision into being so you're Mm -hmm. like using up all this energy to to make this thing And, and of course like in egypt and in the renaissance right uh, mm-hmm. that was all animated by like the, the worship of the king, the worship of the dead, um, pharaoh, or the, the, the veneration of Mary and the veneration of Christ. A really good thing to read is, um, Henry, the, the education of Henry Adams, uh, the, the virgin and the dynamo, where he mm-hmm. says that these 
you know, building these cathedrals was like a huge undertaking that required like an entire village to get behind. And they were animated by, they were vivified by like religion and Catholicism and the Virgin Mary and, and, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Whereas his, his contention is that like, uh, the, the, the internal combustion engine is going to just like take all that energy and put it onto itself and the people are going to be left like with nothing to do. And I think your argument in this book, is a lot of this crap nonsense art we see is like these people, the leftovers who can't really, they don't have the vision and they don't have the creativity and they don't have the skill, but they could still be used in some way uh, are now um, diddling, you know, and, 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 and diddling these little scribbles because they have this, uh, uh, they have this like terminal leisure combined with like historic levels of narcissism. <laughs> Yeah, they're very well, very well uh, astutely put. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. So you have people like, um, you know, Roscoe. Uh, Pollock is always a great example because I actually saw an example of a supposed, you know, with a lot of them you can see with these abstract painters, um, say like Picasso, you can, the, the, a great argument for Picasso uh, to a modernist is to point out his early paintings because he did have skill and he could paint a good, a good uh, early painting, right? But some of them did not. Like, I know you, you can look at early Pollocks and it looks like a high school, like, gimp, um, you know, like the retard <laughs> painting. Even like painting a house with like a landscape behind it. It looks like <laughs> he was hopeless. He had nothing. Was he? Okay, good. I wanted to talk yeah. about this. Yeah, finish your thought. I wanted to okay. get into this. Right. So, yeah, in terms of the bums, you're saying, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, you know, an open market for people like that to exploit, and nar- like narcissistic liars and con men and, um, People who think they're great for this and that or who are even elevated to be great by the system or by the values we have. Again, it's very Spanglerian. You can say the way it is the way it is because everything's on the downslide. And like there's 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 so many details and everything you were saying even there before, like say the Renaissance, the Renaissance, right? Because there was amazing uh, tradition in Gothic architecture, which is almost unsurpassed architecturally which came out of the medieval darkness, although it was sort of a continuation of the Romanesque inspired by the Crusades and the Arab uh, stuff. And that was an ongoing kind of tradition in building that was linked to the early Romans through the arch and everything still. It was like an, in a way it was an undying Roman tradition that evolved in the darkness, you would say. And the Renaissance was also the other, the flip side of the Renaissance was that it was a return to pagan thought in that, the Medici showed up with the great texts of um, um, Plato and, uh, you know, everybody, <laughs> all the classical Greek and Roman um, thinkers and authors, uh, as long as well as the, uh, what's the uh, guy, the alchemy guy? Oh, I can't remember now. But anyways, all these great texts. Was he texts. a Greek uh, or a medieval figure? No, who's the guy, the hermeticism guy? Um, he was he was really big with them. He was even more exciting to them than Plato. Uh, Hermes Trism- Trismegistus. Okay, yeah. Like magical, magical Egyptian Roman magic and stuff. But anyways, they, all, all these all these texts showed up, right? And that really uh, turned everything on its head and I began to think. It was really like Plato was huge in that sense and that it turned, you know, it was, you can argue it was anti, anti, it was, it was very pagan. It was, you have to admit, it was a pagan resurgence and it was a, uh, these classical va- values imbued their art with a, with a new fire. So they were sort of able to revive themselves in a new way through this. See, that's that's something you can think about in terms of possibly if some new fiery thing turns up and everybody gets invigorated by it and a new art 
kind of takes off from an inspiration, even if it's a past thing that used to exist that doesn't anymore. Really all good creativity is like the mixing of two or more things from the past, like two things that you wouldn't have expected even. You mix them together and you make a new, it's like genes. It's like everything, evolution, right? Um, it's to do with mixing things that you didn't ex didn't expect to be mixed, maybe. Um, and that creates a new art. But, I mean, there were circumstances, the main circumstances they had, and also ancient Egypt had. Ancient Egypt was very famous. I mean, their ways of building pyramids you were talking about, their schooling, the last, they, had, they really had the system that is ideal, I think, civilizationally. And it's proven by the thousands of years they existed. And I know something about it. That's a whole other topic. I don't want, I won't go into it immediately right now. I'll skip over that one. But, um, like you were talking about Gothic cathedrals that take uh, generations to build. Like I was, I was at the, um, what's the one in Barcelona? The Gaudi one. Um, the Familias, uh, cathedral. Anyways, Gaudi's cathedral. It was not finished in his lifetime. And sadly, it's still being built. You're talking about these ones that are like were built over, it's, they're still working on. It. Like uh, now, right? But this is a two-sided story in that he did not have plans, apparently, or they were lost or something for the other side of the cathedral. <laughs> so some sort of modernist artist was hired to design the other side, and it's not in keeping, and it's okay, but it's nothing like the Gaudi side, and they're still working on it. <laughs> so I think they're still working on some of his plans for the inside and this other guy's. So it's kind of a bittersweet tale in terms of cathedral building. But yes, they're still building it, even though surely in Spain, Catholicism is dying away and it's sort of a matter of novelty now. I don't know what. Yeah, and we have but, the Notre Dame burning burning down. And um, what's happening with that now? Are they just reconstructing I, it? I believe they did even. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't hear much about it since. But that... See, what we don't have that uh, – this is what I was going to say. What we don't have that Egypt and Florence ha – uh, the Renaissance had is, frankly, a homogeneity of race and religion and a patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> frankly, those are the bottom lines of, the, of what you need to have any kind of civilization at all. And that's sort of the message of the supposed right-wing, far-right, whatever you want to call it. Is that that those two things, which historically existed without question, until what I don't know, not did not directly until 1968 in a broad sense, are prerequisites because, well, I don't need I won't go into the because I might I don't know how how risque you want to get about it, but anyways, that's an element. Well, I I, I agree, uh, which brings me back to the point I was originally on that I veered off of um to say that uh you need to like uh re-embody this heroic uh disposition in young men so what i was saying about the gynocracy and the gerontocracy is that um those young vitalistic people like they don't want to be hemmed in and controlled by uh you know women um matriarchs and they don't want to give all their energy over to old people so they have to be deracinated in order to like serve those ends. And of course the deracination process is happening through like the, the whole grooming thing. Um, so you, you have a political scene where there's just no options. There's just no option. I mean, they're running, 
literal stroke victims and uh you know there's one one woman who was like trying to run for government i think in maryland who was twerking on the beach in in a bathing suit it's just it's just levels of absurdity and insult that you never would have thought possible um and then on the other hand um the whole like lgbtq pushing that to to kindergartners and preschoolers of course is the the goal there in my opinion is to raise a generation of docile men and boys so that they can be controlled uh either by the state or just by mammies whatever the case may be but whatever the purpose they have it it's not creating men who are going to like overcome these like great levels of adversity to like eke out like this one great masterpiece It, it it requires like obsession it requires a certain form of insanity to to like i mean make people like uh michelangelo even uh, milton and and joyce and others like went blind a- older in life because of uh the obsession they had with you know their craft and things like that so for for to have a generation of men um who are willing to do and and then let's not even get talk talk about the hard work of engineering and making you know the space program and things like that where this egalitarian you rail against egalitarianism a lot in the book well and i share that with you um you're not going to put all of these economic and institutional resources into this one genius who's going to like redesign the rocket ship to take us into deep space because all that money has to go to again the nursing homes and it has to go to welfare and things like that so we're just not painting a picture at all of a culture that's able to produce art now as as probably as uh ridiculous as it's going to sound you and dave have basically convinced me that the hard long visionary work of raising men who are going to like take control back mm-hmm. really does start with something like pulp fantasy science fiction heavy metal things like that all these things that are laughed at and poo-pooed they yeah. they engender the aggression and the testosterone and like the brazenness of young men because well let's, let's be more specific they were the they are the last living and we are the inheritors and the continuators of a that tradition of um what i was saying about oh, i don't want i don't want to like focus too much on this sort of thing but like you know it is white men this is their <laughs> typically their art right i mean it's um, just objectively true we're not being yeah yeah it's so you know this is like that's the that's the tradition we are part of and keeping going and they're like each art form speaks to each race. I'm not saying poo-booing any other race and the things they like to do, but those were the evolving traditions before we sort of got really lost in the uh, diversity and the um, deracination, you know, the last sort of expressions of, of um, patriarchal art, which is the only really innovative art there is, frankly. I mean, there's, this is a complex question on its own, which I try to go into in the book as well. And that, women can be great artists. And in fact, when a woman is a good artist, she will be, you know, really good. Or like, even when a woman is, um, you know what I mean? Like if, when you see like a sort of shit posting right wing person <laughs> who has really good takes or 
even someone who has good, you know, may have good art and things like, and it turns out to be a woman, some, every, very, extremely rarely, that's the thing. You know, it's only like 5%, less than 5% of them or something. They will be good. They will be very good. And they'll be exceptionally good, better than most men. Even. But it's just so extremely rare. So, you know, kudos to them. And it's very harsh and shitty that you have to say this, speak of things in the aggregate, as you must with race and everything else, because, you know, it sucks on the individual level. Yet what is true in the aggregate is more largely true because we're talking about 90% of them and they will not be uh, capable of this kind of creativity and innovation, which is largely in terms of art culturally generally is the, uh, the um, falls under what men do to largely to impress women, in fact, but (laughs) all that stuff you're talking about, the heavy metal, the pulp, that was the continuation of a tr- of the tradition that must be picked up and carried on. And it was only very recent, in the recent decades, when everything has been attacked. Everything traditional has been f- fully, full-on attacked to the point of, like, unrecoverably, like, sort of losing the nations as they were, probably. And, in fact, whatever we are and whatever is going on, it's like there's going to be some sort of a dividing of some kind somehow and anybody anybody who wants to retain themselves will have to seek to be inspired by as well as everything else by art which has a link to their past in some fashion um the continuate the last continuation of that was things that like things like heavy metals let's say i think have been they have a negative connotation in a lot of people's minds mostly because of the kind of pr and the attack it's under undergone in sort of recent decades as a sort of silly juvenile or um Just low culture low art low brow low brow yeah yeah exactly when in fact it's like incredible virtuosity you know playing actual instruments as opposed to the stupid shit the auto-tune fucking everything digital uh, sampling bullshit <laughs> which is so simplistic and mindless you know it's the exact opposite of that so um, it's very legitimate, and I, Dave and I definitely agree about that. We have from the start, and we saw that in each other, and like Dave's a great man. He's uh, got excellent ideas, and uh, I totally agree with what he's doing, and I think he agrees with me and what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, you have to kind of take that up and try to – but you have – again, you have to try to do something new and evolve it as much as – but this is the – that's the extremely difficult thing. When you try to do art of any kind, that is the – so these modern artists, they can you know, surely work hard on their giant scribbles or on their conceptual fucking bullshit where they get naked and they roll around on the ground in the cotton wool or whatever. <laughs> they certainly work on their descriptions of what it means and how it means what it means to you politically or whatever. But the real work is not just in continuing something, but in, in then invigorating it, somehow adding some inspiration so that it can blossom into some new branch out into some new thing linked to the past, but that is also new. So you have to have that balance of, of both. And um, yeah, it's uh, so you might have guys like me and Dave who are out there in the darkness and should by all means have like giant publishing um, industries like each, <laughs> but like, you know, have to like we're, do everything on our own ourselves and, yeah, and we through. talked about the shadow banning and 
Yeah, I, like uh, yeah. Even if I wasn't even shadow banned, I would be like even so. Even since Musk bought Twitter, like with the sales, there's like so much more just from that. Oh, your, I, your sales have gone up since then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like quite a bit. Oh, that's great yeah. to hear. So that, that's great to hear. So, like on top of everything else we're discussing, like unfairly, sneakily shadow banned by some fucking, you know, <laughs> some gimp working at Twitter. <laughs> some son of a bitch, a little fucking blue-haired son of a bitch with a with a bone to pick. I mean, we saw. Oh, we, did you see the pictures of one of the people, one of the content moderators? Oh, was, I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't doubt. I wouldn't doubt it was someone because I made several sort of. I have obviously been somewhat vocal about the whole uh, business with the he she's. Let's say right, 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 right. right so okay, yeah. so. Um, back to what we were saying about the redirection of cultural vitality. Uh, right. another thing too is, um, like, so, so like Henry Adams has that piece I was talking about, the Virgin and the Dynamo, which is under discussed, but it's really good. And he's basically making the same claim that Francis Fukuyama claims in, uh, the end of history in the last man, where like, people's thumos their reason for being their uh animating spirit is gonna kind of be drained out from them and of course fukuyama talks about it like the end of history with like the clash of civilizations and the clash between uh communism and uh capitalism where and it seems like he was right about that you know he's he's done a lot of cringe cringe worthy things since then especially <laughs> especially now but I think right. he basically had that insight correct that like, well, we were driven by uh, our competition with this like historic competition with communism and liberalism won. And we, we, we didn't like capitalize on the victory. We just kind of like, like I said, stood around and diddle ourselves instead. Um, and, and take it back to Henry Adams. He basically says the same thing's going to happen because of, uh, technology. But the, the insight here, that I think applies to a lot of what we're talking about because you said that you don't think it's just technology. And I think, oh, no. you have a, yeah. I think you have a point, right? You have a point that like you could combine technology with this driven heroic spirit into making great things and, and bringing civilization to the next level. So I think atheism and egalitarianism are huge factors. And we already kind of touched on that. I, uh, maybe you can elaborate on it. Um, but I want to say one other thing. Which is yeah. that there was also a shift in the focus of technology, which I think is a very narcissistic shift, where we went from space age technology and basically like once the space age like uh, Apollo, I think it was I, I said this wrong in a past podcast episode, by the way. So if anybody forgot, forgot what episode it was, but the I think it was the Apollo 13 space mission got farther out than any other in history uh, with a human being on it. But of course, you had the right. uh, Apollo Eleven, which I think I conflated those two in a past episode, so I got to rectify that now. I the forget there was like eleven missions to the, to the moon. That's what people don't realize. There was like wasn't there like eleven or something? There was like a whole bunch. There was a whole bunch of videos of like people driving around in moon buggies that were like later missions and stuff. And they just stopped. But, and they just stopped. And there's a couple questions wow. as to why did they stop. And I think part of it has to well, be the Houston, we have a problem. That whole thing maybe put the fear of God in the space mission, but. At the same time, you had this shift from uh, space exploration and space technology to like medical technology and then after that like internet technology. So all of the 
all of the cultural capital as far as technology is concerned is for like you know basically just these like startup companies like venture capitalists trying to like pour all this money into the next app that is like a food mm. delivery which does nothing yeah. for anyone but it generates yeah. all this like fake upfront money um yeah. and then again I've i already touched on medical like science i've worked so. at places like this so they do nothing they do nothing you worked where <laughs> I've worked at such places. So I have worked in places like. Oh the yeah, past. yeah. They're just yeah. trying to generate as much upfront capital as possible, and then mm-hmm. it just goes nowhere. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I, I said a lot there, but my, my question to you though was that I do this a lot. I, I start rambling and I lose my question for my guest. Oh, what, don't talk what, to rambling, what, uh, I mean, what factor do you think? atheism and egalitarianism plays because you talk about a lot in your book um but i'm not sure you elaborated on it enough here yet well you talk about okay so you talk about liberalism and communism in my view they're both 20th century inventions similar even in origin and you know something it didn't really is like liberalism arguably goes back to the french revolution and you might say communism too they're both they both have origins in the idea, the false idea, in my view, um, that you can sort of live or have government without hierarchy. That kings are evil, it's terrible to have serfs and slaves, and you must have this, uh, people must rule. Every individual person is like his own kingdom. And the Americans came closest to having something like this, putting this into action. And they sort of in a way, they successfully did so in a certain sense for a few hundred years there, although not in the sense that people think. I mean, they had slaves and things, so for God's sake, it wasn't like, <laughs> you know, it never really existed in the in the sense that people might think now. And it's not possible. Even they had an idea of hierarchy, obviously. Um, they sort of just did what they wanted to do with the kings and queens part. They didn't like it because over time, the pharaoh, the king, becomes associated with evil because everyone wants to be the pharaoh or the king. It depends on how small-minded your people are <laughs> as well. But like you all, the truth is, in my view, you cannot, there's never a system devoid of the king to surf structure. You just rename them so that the, the uh, communist commissar becomes the king or whoever, you know, whoever's in charge over there, uh, you, will, you will have a structure of hierarchy and someone will be in charge. And they, Stalin or what, Stalin in fact ends up having more actual individual power than the, than fucking Ramses the second. Like he had more power over the individual and what they did in their homes <laughs> across his entire empire than maybe any fucking God King ever did before him. And he was supposed to be Mr. Democracy, Mr. Fucking sla- uh, labor, you know, every man, <laughs> the ultimate, you know, then, so that's the communist for you or any of them. And liberalism is just the same shit. They just rename they don't like the word king. It sounds, ooh, it sounds like uh, whatever, you know, like uh, oppression. So you have to name the CEO or some st- politician or some fucking stupid thing. So by retreating from this truth in this womanish, uh, terrified, spineless way, they um, live in falsehood, both communism and liberalism. When in fact, the proper way in a proper society like the Romans did, would be to fully acknowledge every status and caste and, and placement from the emperor down to the lowest of the low. And you can fall into each category and live in them and have social mobility from each to another, but they exist and there they are. And each one has the power that they have. 
And it's an honest, just way to structure things. And uh, people say, well, what about the king? What if he's bad? Generally speaking, you read your Machiavelli or whatever, you know, either the nobles killed him. So, or, you know, there's always, there's always trouble. There's always like, in fact, the more responsibility you have, which is how it should be, the more in peril you are continually. <laughs> um, you know, he was, if he was really bad, a bad king in proper classical values would not be a bad king as we think of him now. A bad king back then would be someone who was inept and losing and causing a loss of wealth in the kingdom and sort of generally that he was a bit spineless and weak, not so much that he was, he can be tyrannical, but very strong in increasing the wealth yeah, and so forth. I agree right. with you. I want to make a quick distinction here for us today. Now, when people talk about this, when, especially when anti-monarchists like liberals refute monarchism, when they say bad King, they mean like he's mean to people. He's like cruel to people. So they consider, oh, if, I ever say if I ever say something like this on Twitter or something, someone's like, Oh, you just want to be the King. And yeah, it's you know, yeah, exactly <laughs> like, no, I'm not even from like, I'm, I have no blue blood in me or anything like, you know, I, uh, yeah, it's just my personal ob observation. Uh, of yeah, so, right. So, I mean, when you compare and contrast, to be honest with you, one of the problems I have with like Twitter in general, but just political discourse around these things is like a, a lot of people now want to say that like liberalism is inherently um, bad and inherently a dead end when I think that it, it, these things have stages, you know, and I think I wouldn't call – or early America, like liberalisms, I guess maybe technically it is, especially like the founding and things like that. But the way well, again, it, again, you're talking about you're, again, you're talking about time. I mean, they went home to their slaves <laughs> after writing there, right? I mean, so what I'm saying, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? um, exactly. Like it wasn't so. to say that, like because 300 years ago and 200 years ago came to this, does not mean that liberalism or democracy. And I, I, I like the term democracy better than liberalism for the, for the point I'm trying to make here because okay. uh, people will say like democracy is inherently like uh, degenerate and inherently um, decadent, which there's a, I know what that argument is and it's a good argument, but it, it definitely comes in stages and a lot of things changed in America between the founding and today that like weren't there before they just weren't there and like new things came up and new new things were amended to the constitution where a, dem a democracy's value got like massively diluted like suffragism is really like the the best catchphrase for what i'm trying to say like democracy as the ancient greeks and as the early americans conceptualized it i thought was i think it's great i think it'd be great if we can go back to that but we can't we're not going to we can't, it wasn't anything not, like what people. It wasn't anything like people think now. Obviously, it was the wealthy. It was especially not what liberals think now. <laughs> yeah, it was wealthy landowners, uh, native landowners only, that were allowed to vote. <laughs> so that would be like uh, some kind of oligarchy now, I guess. Um, but at least an open oligarchy, as opposed to the uh, secretive oligarchy we have, where um, people you never see actually with all the wealth kind of uh, buy out the politicians with lobbyists, lo lobbyism, or whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, you know, this, this is a good point. I don't really want to get, I don't really want to get more, any more into politics, like directly discussing right, politics. Right. It, it is Probably. part of this conversation. Sure. But yeah. I want to point out that a lot of this crap that we see 
is funded by like uh 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 taxpayer funded you know foundations and things that promote this stuff like one of the one of the two main go to things when people talk about like modernist uh <laughs> art sorry they talk about Duchamp and they talk about mm-hmm. this this piss Christ thing where it was uh, like yeah. wasn't that funded by like the National Endowment of the Arts or something like that it was oh, it I was don't know. I'm yeah that, there, that, but, um... Well, listen. Yeah. I need to. I need to take a a, a break. Uh, cool. Something came up real quick, um, so I have yeah. to stop. So while I'm while we're on break, I'm gonna look that up real quick. But I'm pretty sure it was, um, and we'll 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 take this point up. Yes, as I was saying, uh, this this piss Christ thing—it's—it's it's kind of one of the main go-to examples people give of like how degraded art has become, and it—it uh, it did win the National uh, Endowment of the Arts Foundation award. I don't know how much money this artist got, but like right. uh, my my point though is that these things aren't simply uh, patronized by like rich private donors, although that is the majority of the activity. Um, it is being appropriated by uh, and promoted by the government and by taxpayer money. Um, even this groomer stuff that you're seeing in these uh, drag queen story hours and, uh, you, you know, at drag queen story, story hours at people's schools and the integration of these, you know, you know, Nancy has two mommies or Timmy has two daddies books in kindergarten. This is all mm-hmm. taxpayer funded. So um, it is not and you can't extract this from politics whatsoever. A lot, a lot of people that complained about my book in that sense is people that wanted to read it just for a sort of essay on art and didn't expect the political element. They say, Oh, why'd you have to go into all this political stuff? But really, that is the, the reason why it's entirely political. Uh, it's the source of the problem is political entirely. Yeah. It's being, it's being, uh, co-opted by them completely and they, uh, used to push like a certain agenda that of course, <laughs> You know, it's just so crazy to me the way I I just got done saying I don't want to talk about politics, but it's just so crazy yeah. to me the way you can't that avoid it. you can't avoid it. I know you, you want to, but you can't. You, you have to just sort of like touch on it and then dance away. This <laughs> stuff, like, yeah, yeah, do. that is what it's like. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this stuff totally supports and is supported by one side of the political spectrum, the Democrats and the left, but the right just fucking goes right along with it. I mean, the years of them uh, putting up a protest seem to be over. It seems like they've just totally gone on board with all of it. 
Yeah, well, conservatives, in my opinion, as from what I've come to understand of them, how can we put this now? I mean, as in terms of what, how many people really realize, have the faintest clue as to what's going on or what the resolution might be. I mean, I think the number must be very low indeed because, you know, conservatives can, conservatives can react against the right usually for sort of very plain mobbish kind of reasons. You know, some, you know, a commandment of the Bible is being broken or something, right? They don't fully understand necessarily what's going on. They can be kind of simplistic in their own way. In many ways, in fact, they are the boring, starchy uh, nobodies that you disliked when you were a rebellious teenager. And they, <laughs> you know, many of them anyways, right? Maybe it's the only solution, the only option we have to the supposed left are these people. Yeah, we and need to we need to like embrace that energy and and be attractive to those people. In my opinion, well, there's I think we just need a whole entirely other option altogether. But I mean, it's not just going to be presented politically, and that's another another argument for the Spenglerian hopelessness of the situation. I guess you might say is the uh, lack of options. I mean, people have tried to get in and commandeer the conservatives from being so sort of weak and uh, in, ineffectual, but so far. It seems they absorb whoever comes near them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're <laughs> just going of, with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. But um, piss, like Piss Christ and those things you're talking about, like, of course, it's in, in liberals or conservatives. They're going to continue funding the arts. They think your, t- your average politician who knows nothing about anything we've talked about. Right. Just thinks, right. Oh, the arts. Oh, the arts. You know, they don't yeah. just give a shit. They don't like, give them a million and let, you know, and in terms of the academy and the institution of art itself, it's completely run and commandeered by these people by it has been extremely the most liberal wing of everything of the entire culture um you know for since certainly the greenbergian age early 20th century they were really the original shock troops of this whole message of word games and uh egalitarian kind of flipping flipping of values so they're the ones they get handed all the money and they turn around and hand it to uh Tracy Emin and fucking Banksy or whatever. And these yeah, other idiots. Yeah. <laughs> well, these, these people yeah. promote and encourage this stuff too. Let's not forget uh, Gertrude Stein as well. Like uh, who, you know, of course, like there was some good stuff coming out of that, that salon, but uh, Picasso was probably the biggest thing to come out of, of her little crew there. And he's like the, the main figurehead, in my opinion, he's the most famous one. He's the most mainstream accepted one. I mean, I can't remember who it was. Netflix or some PBS. Somebody did a documentary series called uh, called Genius, and they did one about him. And uh, you know, I've been to like all the galleries in New York and Rome, and a couple smaller ones around the country, Boston, and by far. The worst art I've ever been in the presence of is Picasso's by far. And I, and I don't just mean that it's like bad, but you don't, you don't feel anything. It doesn't evoke a response. I mean, I, I, I've been around Duchamp's work. Uh, Moma mm-hmm. in New York has both Duchamp and, uh, Picasso. And there's something there. I actually like Duchamp. Maybe we could, uh, before we close, we could debate a little bit about him. I actually like his work. I feel like he's trying to do something very specific with his work. And I think it's obvious what he's trying to do. And when you're in the presence of it, you feel something. I, I know that's kind of a... Okay, well, let's talk about it now then. So what is it you think he's doing and what his... All right, so I'll tell you. Work. To finish my thought, though, I felt nothing okay. next to... Right. 
I was even repulsed by Picasso. But but to get back to Duchamp, this is how I took Duchamp. I took I took took it two ways. Uh, the first is the uh, urinal, which I haven't seen in real life. Um, but I saw a bunch of other ready urinals. urinal. Yeah, and I, I th- <laughs> and it's I brought up Piss Christ in the urinal on purpose because like we got this motif of urine, right? <laughs> I think both Picasso and Duchamp and many others at that time knew that art was kind of dead and they i think they knew that painting had run out of steam and there wasn't really anywhere else to go with painting and it was basically done and there's a bunch of reasons for that but you could already see it happening with what, the, what, are, what are those reasons because you're talking about an era of the time of great great painters you the are. early like 10s and 20s and 30s like dolly yeah for certainly the height of art nouveau both people like clinton that or like others like there's a lot of great there is great great painting and probably some of the best ever in fact well, in, I, in impressionism art nouveau and other there's there's a lot i would say so i wouldn't I, agree I, with that first of all but go well, on, go on. no hang on let me let me let me clarify uh i'd love clint i love dolly i love art nouveau but, yeah. but abstract expressionism, right? Mm-hmm. That was like mm-hmm. the movement and surrealism. Mm-hmm. And my opinion, because Clint, expressionism, yeah, expressionism was the original, um, uh, sort of abstract. abstract yeah, that, the abstract, like, right? Came well, then, later. later, later came abstract. What they call abstract expressionism, but yeah, yes, yes, yes. No, See, this yeah, is sorry, why I need you here because you have it. But but what I'm trying to say though, what I'm trying to say though is that the depiction of reality right. in painting had right. already reached its apogee by that time. So what all of these guys are doing, I mean, Art Nouveau is a little different. Let's leave that out because that's like a romantic. But it's not though, right? So you're discounting then any painter who came since, like even say the likes of Frazetta or I mean, there's many. No, others I love Frazetta. I love Frazetta. But 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 Frazetta is a great example though. I love looking at Frazetta and I love. Uh, you know, the, 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 well, the aesthetic, I guess, is the best word to, the, the, that aesthetic. And he's really good, sure. But he comes at an era in which, like, the mass reproduction of these images is possible. So he is no technically better than any number of other comic book artists out there. Like, he's got this distinctive style, sure. And it's great. And I love it. And I, I don't want to take anything away from it. To live in an era when fine art was something else entirely, and he was fine art was something that was uh, other than what he was doing as well, right? So let's say you got the likes of Willie Pogany and um, what's his name? Oh God, what's his name? There's a, there's a classic well, what era. Do? What they call it. Um, I'm talking. I'm talking about illustrators of the early 20th century. Let's say they got forced into illustration because they were no they were no longer considered fine art painters. That's what's considered the and that's what started the golden age of illustration, which led to a lot of the pulp artists and things. And um, what's, the, what's the guy I'm thinking of? There's a lot of American artists that well, were really, some, really good. Tell me a piece of work that the guy you're thinking of did. And I'll, uh... Of the other guy. Oh, he did like Treasure Island and um, he did the Art King Arthur stories. Oh, um, the comic? No. I'm not, but this is very early on in the 20th century. And like illustrations for the book of like people jousting and fighting. God, what's his name? Oh, shit. Oh, I can't think of it. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. There's tons of them, anyways. So they got all forced out of what would be fine art into, like, you can't discount the bifurcation of society 
what with Greenberg's success came fine art. You ha- you couldn't be a fine artist unless you were someone like Picasso. And it's been the same ever, ever since. If you try to do something in a what you call technical, realistic, traditional sense, you were out of it. So I don't know. In the same way that I don't know that Spengler is 100% true, I wouldn't be absolutely confident about saying that realistic or technical painting reached its apogee. And from then on, the only thing to do was to present urinals. But I would say... No, you no, know, but I don't think the I, only I, thing I would, to I do. Say, it's not. It's not impossible to say that. It's not. I do believe that art forms can die as well. Sort of like, what's an example from the past? There must be one I can think of. Like, for instance, now in the state we're in, there is art going on. Mostly, it occurs in like, in like writing or memes or something. It does. It, it is there. There is an artfulness, creativity of a sort, but it's a whole new, entirely new universe of a thing because all the other avenues are closed, even though there's a certain need still for like um, even painting and drawing in any kind of traditional sense. Someone wants to present something, do something, you know, the same old need is there as it always was for a painting or drawing now and then. So there's no reason for it not to be an art form of its own with its own excellence and standards and things. Although now it's also muddled with uh, computer graphics as a, I would say generally cheapens the form for the most part, but I mean, I even use them myself, so I can't complain overly. I mean, I can complain. I will complain, <laughs> but I have uh, exploited this, the ease of them myself. Um, but yeah, all this is my talk is just me, me railing against your same with that. So Duch- you, you figure Duchamp is there and necessary because as you say, painting had reached its apex and there was nothing more for nowhere else for it to go. So, for this reason, what his urinal and his what, what, his statement he was making, you figure. Yeah, the is statement profound. he was making is he was basically taking a piss on the art world, and it, but it was a it was a it was definitely a fuck you to like the art scene, don't you think? For him, for the because this guy could paint, he was a traditional painter. So was well, Picasso. What, what what are his paintings? What so what traditional paintings of his of his have you seen? I've yeah, seen. I've seen them online. I don't, I mean, he's not famous for any of them and they're not, they're not great. I, I mean, your I, contention, I, your contention is they're not good at it. So they took this turn instead. No, Picasso, was good. Picasso was good. Yeah. I think um, Picasso Duchamp, was good too. Yeah. Duchamp claimed, he said, he said, he said in interviews that I can paint as good as an impressionist since I was 18. And he said this in many interviews and I never once have I seen any such painting of his myself. So I know he's lying unless, uh, you know, I don't, I can't see why they would be hidden and hard to find. Oh, for, you know, you know I was just under the impression that I had seen them and that they are out there. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Find them and present them to me and show me the wrong because I did not find them. And all I saw was shit from him. I saw okay. garbage. <laughs> I saw okay, nothing. yeah, I'm looking now and you're right. It is all it is all abstract. Uh, yeah. And he made this claim. There's an interview. You can see a video interview of him saying I could and like very proudly and arrogantly saying I could I could paint for like an impressionist since I was 18. And ever since I saw that, I was like looking for that. And I was like, I don't see this, buddy. I don't see your Impressionist painting since you were 18. I've seen imp- real Impressionist painting and I've like in Rome and Paris, like you, where they have all the amazing multicolored, uh, you know, dots of every color in the rainbow somehow making a perfect picture, like amazingly, like both te- technical see, and... Um, no, I enjoy uh, those like, paintings, but I my argument is that they're, they're, the way they depict reality is already like a disintegration of the form. Because what Spengler says, right, is like once you reach the apex of that 
form of expression. Once you sculpt the perfect human figure, once you paint. No, 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 that's not what he says. No, he and says that all that, you can do is play around with the forms. You can, no, you no, can. No, no, no. Once you've, once you've reached your style, once you've achieved the style you're headed for and the chief representation of that style, which for the Greeks was, according to Spengler, the Doric column, was it? Or something like this, right? It wasn't, it's not that you've made the ultimate painting or the ultimate building. You've achieved that. You've reached the climax of the style. Right. Okay. That, rep- that represents your values that you were headed for. Well, we agree not... so far. Where's the disagreement? Well, that's not like the so the, the Greeks didn't create the ultimate building of all time. They created the ultimate Doric column, right? It's not. Um, it's a matter of style. It's not a matter of creating the ultimate. Yeah, but painting. once so you do that, all that, you that can do is repeat it. No, that means there's other potentialities of painting, uh, supposedly, or architecture, or any of the other mediums. There's still potential ultimate styles, depending on what your values are. Yeah, but if you look at the continuum of painting over right. time, it starts out with a improper incorrect depiction of reality where where I mean, at the very time, least the roman paintings roman, roman paintings were quite advanced and greek too they were and i've seen advanced. some i've seen some and i was very impressed but still the perspective isn't quite worked out and what spengler says is that um you don't see bodies uh interacting with each other in space like three-dimensional space you see them next to each other they're like adjacent to each other because it's not well, proportionally correct because the horizon line hadn't been worked out. And this is all in volume one. Yeah, but that's that's an that's an element of if you want to look at it technically speaking, then the ultimate painting is photorealism, right? If you're not talking about style and the perfection of a style and the ultimate achievement of a, you know, they say the impressionists, their goal was to create the picture through those tiny dots of various colors. Now, as a funny little goal and a hobby to have, and it's obscure and weird and funny. <coughs> Excuse me. But they then achieve that to an extremely high degree. That's all anybody ever does when they do any kind of art or sport or anything. They follow the rules of the game. Right. To a With an idea they have on their own to send it in whatever direction they want. So... In terms of in terms of painting being explained and done and it's over, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't say that, but I wouldn't say it's impossible either. Considering how things are now, I well, don't know. So, so Picasso, I, 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 I do believe that like evolutionary change can can happen in the sense where we would completely become something other than we have been historically. It. And that can happen. And I don't mean that in a liberal way. I mean that in the sense of this combination of factors we have now with technology, you know, could lead to, I mean, there are, like, as I said, there's new streams for creativity to take nowadays. We don't even realize we're doing it when you're beginning something that could be like a, a kind of art, but it's not what it was. And you're right in the sense that painting I mean, I don't know that I would. I can say it's very hard for me to say anything. I, I don't believe in, a, in, in absolutes, so it's a, <laughs> this is the problem in talking to me to begin with. That is all I'm going to all I'm going to do is ramble and say things that I think are possibly likely. Because is painting could be, could painting be completely over? I don't know. But 
Well, it's not I, impossible. Unfortunately, we're we're winding down. I probably only have about ten minutes left. You have to come back, though. I feel like we're only just getting started on certain aspects of this conversation. Um, so hopefully you'll do that for me. We we've been talking yeah, to sure. each other for well, months. And... Oh Jesus, we gotta, I gotta go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, You're right. We, we gotta go. <laughs> you, do you have another ten yeah. minutes? Yeah, yes, ten minutes. So, in, in terms of what I was saying, yeah, I like this is I'm getting into a science fictiony type idea that it, it is possible that in everything you knew before it can be lost and there can be a cataclysmic change in the some things fundamentally and everything can be different and it is possible but in, again i would I, I like i would never say such a statement with uh tremendous confidence that oh painting's been described and done and it's over and uh, it's been you know, I it's been never, a long time my friend unfortunately well, because think, think about this. Know. Think about Frank Frazetta. Well, he might not be the best example, but think about comic book in general. Like those guys aren't strictly painters; they draw their figures, right? Uh, right. So yeah. it's not the same no, I, thing. Uh, no, I agree that um, in recent years, and even this guy it, you named this awesome, awesome artist, Will, William uh, P- Pogany. Yeah, oh, he's, he um, also looks like he draws. I still can't think of the guy I'm really thinking of. What's his a pile? Is a pile? Pile's another one. He's not even the guy I was thinking of, but he's another one. Someone, something pile and um, shit. What's the other guy? It doesn't matter. These are the early 20th century painters that were good, but I mean, there's still a need for it. There's always going to be someone who needs a painting for their book or their wall. So for whenever there's a need, there's like something there. I don't. The idea of advantage is like the need for a, for a domicile, for architecture, for a house. It's always going to be sort of there, but maybe it's possible to move into a stage where it's. Well, think about this. Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't made irrelevant by Duchamp. I wouldn't say it's been made irrelevant by very recent times. By oh, yeah. yeah, by like I had maybe more to say about we, Duchamp though, because that's only one it, element. Well, if we kept it, if we kept the tradition alive, and the variation had been forming in the traditional way, then maybe we wouldn't. It wouldn't seem so nihilistic and hopeless to conceive of painting of being of any use or value or um, new creativity and um, sort of thing, originality, right? If it's hard, it's so hard to say when it's been so thoroughly trapped on and destroyed and oppressed and enshackled and. Uh, it's one of those things that's not necessary. It's not yeah, painting and getting a painting and hanging it on your wall is very, I mean, it sounds like a luxurious thing to do nowadays uh, <laughs> at all, unless you do it yourself. Um, nevertheless, it's a, you know, it was never, it was never, the thing is it never was anything more than that simple little trick of drawing and painting and scribbling on a piece of paper and putting it on your wall. It said that some people did it so well and they took it to such a level like Rembrandt and so forth that it became like this untouchably this, this genre of uh, art that was, you know, reached such heights and was so callously discarded. But like, I really would have no respect for someone like Duchamp. I believe he's a liar. I'd have more respect for Picasso for having that bit of skill. At least he was also a liar. He was also a communist. Um, generally speaking, these people were of that ilk as well. But uh, you're right. We got to go, and I don't want to go on another tangent. Well, this is so, all. Yeah, this is all communism for sure. Um, yeah, I should make a make make it clear. Frank Fazetta did do a lot of painting, but the um, 
the point I wanted to make about like comic book art is it's like the, the reproduction of the human figure at its, you know, highest level depicted in, in art. And like, I don't, I mean, the only thing you can do, you can either put an artistic flourish on it and make it like your own style, or you can, um, abstract it and 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 sort of which is where the impressionism part comes in and that's where the subjectivity thing comes in that's why impressionism is in my opinion as much as i love it i mean i love rembrandt um excuse me uh renoir van gogh um as beautiful as they are and as moving as being in the presence of those pieces of art are they're not they're not a meticulous depiction of reality which is okay it's art doesn't have to be that that's 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 not my my point well, is when you, when, you get, when you get into an artist, you're getting into his him taking his ideas and his style to an utmost point. It's not necessarily that he has meticulously created a photorealism or something like that. It's oh, it's entirely to do with you sense his values and what he's trying to do, and he has taken it to the utmost of the rules he set out for himself. But but what I'm saying though is like, and here's really here's really my thing. I'll save. My final comments for Duchamp for another time. How can you have a standard, right, other than the depiction of reality? What other standard is there that you can hold art to other than how well it depicts reality? I don't because they know had of that, any. They had that, because they had that in the past. They didn't just do that in the past. In fact, you can read and see the uh, instruction of the tutors of the old schools, and they would they would say it was absolute vulgarity. To depict exactly what it, what you saw, even before photography, and certainly after it, to be um, photorealistic, they would be like, "No, you must imbue it both with, dare I say, personal expression and um, a kind of um, what's the word? What's escaping me now?" Well, like the only other, the only and, other um, objective style. sense of standard um, you can apply is symmetry, which you were talking about with the fractals. No, there's three things I'm saying. There's the painterliness, painterliness style, classical classicism. A lot of things were class, class like in the in the uh, Grecian sense. There was like you wouldn't just do a portrait of somebody; you would have to give them a Greek nose and alter everything, not only to the um, golden mean, but you would have to sort of make it seem classical neoclassicism and certainly there's tons of paintings in rome of like figures from the day looking very much like they're um you know diana the huntress or whatever and not just in not just thematically but stylistically so there's style and things like that are extremely important and painterliness and things and that adding that touch of your personal mark not just your personal mark but the the um going going you have to have the skills to be sort of let's say pseudo photorealistic and then you go beyond that you must work beyond that this is why you will never get it in the modern sense since we destroyed the art institution which we once took seriously it's because there's such a tremendous amount of work involved um you have, you must the amount of learning you have to get to get to the point where you can do that and then also personalize it is something else which is around so in that sense because it's gone you're right in that perhaps it's over i mean you can say that maybe it is over in the spingalarian sense maybe we can say goodbye to painting and it's of no use i don't know i myself even uh, i must admit my Aegean covers i paint uh, digitally because it's that much quicker and easier and i only have so much time for 
for doing it. Well, man, I really wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about the AI art and I wanted to talk to you about CGI and movies. And I wanted to talk to you about those people who go into this, this utter embarrassed, ridiculous embarrassment where they like throw applesauce on a painting and super glue their hand to it. And we didn't get to any of that. So you got to come back for that discussion. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, yeah, we gotta go. We got, yeah, you're right. You gotta go, and I gotta go. I'm gonna give you the last word. I want my last word to be that I knew you weren't gonna go for my Duchamp argument, so I'll try to make that elsewhere. Um, but I do want to say this: you did convince me, and I forgot that I forgot that this was in your book until you mentioned it just now about him lying about being a good painter. You you make a very strong case for that because I was always under the impression that he was a good painter and he chose not to. You do make a very strong case that that's not true. But yeah, uh, I want to give, no. give, give you the last word uh, until next time. Uh, I, I definitely, please come back. We we got to continue this. Oh. Well, go oh, ahead. You got you got the last word here. Oh shit! No oh, right. Oh uh, yeah. You can uh, use it to promote promote your YouTube or or yeah. say one last thing. Get one last uh, dig in me about it. I don't even give a shit about the YouTube. I, I'll do. <laughs> the YouTube is like whatever. I don't give a shit about that. But the uh, yeah, buy buy my books, and I'm sure. I mean, frankly speaking, almost everyone who actually somehow finds the effort to buy them um, seems to like them and get something out of it. I didn't like take it lightly. I didn't waste my time writing these books. I take it very seriously, and the science fiction as well. I do take it very seriously, trying to carry on a uh, my version of the tradition that was once very prevalent uh, everywhere, the Weird Tales analog magazine kind of tradition of speculative fiction and um yes i'm working on issue five right now it should be out in february i think it definitely will sorry it will be out then and i think actually be the best one yet the way it's shaping up and generally i think i'm getting better better at that as i go as well and yeah so yeah buy my books if you were interested in anything we're talking about I I think you did a great job selling it. Um, So until next time, the Astral Flight Simulation is signing off.